following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the word here because I I really believe in what we're going to find together today in the scripture. Uh, Now, some of this may sound a little bit familiar because this time of year we talk about certain topics and things like that on occasion because it's on our mind. Uh, I I want to get into the the scripture and I want to talk about the freedom that we have in Jesus. And if you're taking notes, you know, we're going to find a few things. But, you know, we're coming up on celebrating July the 4th. I mean, July the 4th. I can't believe that we're stepping into July, that we have uh, uh, so much of the summer already behind us. We're stepping into this holiday. How many of you have fond memories of the 4th of July? Right? I mean, I'm still making memories, right? I mean, I've got kids, and, and I'm trying to keep them from getting turned on to fireworks because I remember you might as well just go out in the front yard and set your wallet on fire, you know? I mean, so we're wanting to be, take that kind of slow and easy. But I have such great memories. And, you know, most of the fun things that we did with fireworks now, I mean, like, the stuff that was really cool is not legal anymore. Have you noticed that? It's a real shame, Right? I mean, we used to do stuff, and I mean, we were kind of nuts. We were a little bit crazy. So we would always get together, and, and you would save up all of your money, and you'd go buy a big box of fireworks, and you'd show up, you know, at the, the family get-together or the party, and, and you would light a few, enough to make your parents think that you lit them all, right? But you had your secret stash that was kind of the after party. Now, the after party for us meant we went out onto a dirt road, and we had a firework war. Where they were on that side, you were on your side, and you just went after each other. It was all fun and games until someone got hit, and then it was a a free-for-all. And, of course, your target was always don't shoot for the person, shoot for their box. If you can light their box of fireworks on fire, you pretty much won the day. We had these stacks of irrigation pipe. I mean, I grew up around agriculture, so you got to picture these pipes. They're they're maybe 10 inches in diameter and and like 20 feet long, and they're they're stacked up in, in large stacks. And what we would do is we would have one group stand on one side and another group stand on the other side. And, and they don't sell these anymore, but they used to have these tiny, they called them bottle rockets, right? It was a little firework on a stick, and of course it just, just took off. That's what it did. And what we would do is one group would stand on one side of the pipe, and the other group would stand on the other side of the pipe. Now, it's a huge stack of pipes, so you can't see. And then you would just choose which pipe you wanted to send your bottle rocket down, and they had to guess where it's coming, you know. You just hear it whizzing down the pipe, and then boom, there it is. So, I mean, there's something that, that, that comes over me when this time of year comes around. I, I just seem to get kind of excited and giddy, because I remember having so much fun lighting fireworks and celebrating things. But there, there's a part of this holiday that causes me to pause and think, why do we do all of these crazy things? I mean, what makes us pause and stop and and go and buy these things and light them on fire and they blow up and they make, you know, sparks and colors? And I mean, I know you've got your stories. I have my memories. I know that you have yours. I mean, the worst firework ever, right, is what? The black snake. You remember those? I mean, what is that? You sit there and you hold a match on it till it burns your finger, right? And then it just kind of, and that's what it does. But we all have these memories of these things, and, and I wonder... Why is it that we're so willing to stop and celebrate? I mean, what is it that we're celebrating? Why 
do we do this on July the 4th? And, and what's the purpose behind it? Now, for most of us, when we stop and we think about this, we just say, well, it's freedom. We're celebrating freedom. And I think that is what we're celebrating, but that's really not what July the 4th is. I mean, when we talk about July the 4th, we don't call it Freedom Day or Liberation Day, but it's known as Independence Day. I want to talk about that a little bit, and as we get into the scripture, we're going to find a few things together. So if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write a few things down. These are things we're going to find as we get into the scripture this morning. One, we're going to find why Jesus was born. Why Jesus was born. There's some very specific passages of scripture that give us a, a very... Uh, incredible information concerning how God's made this master plan and brought it into existence, why Jesus was born. Another thing we're going to find is what happened to you when you got saved. It happens to all of us. And when I say saved, I want you to think born again. When you were born again, that one-time moment when you were, were born again, something happened to you. We're going to see in the scripture what that is. And then a third thing that we're going to find is what we need in order to function in God's kingdom. We need to understand something. We need to apply something. We need to see it in our lives in order to function in God's kingdom. I want to get into the scripture. I mentioned before we're going to find why Jesus was born. I'd like for you to write this down in your notes or turn there in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 2. I want to look at verses 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, it reads like this. Jesus himself became flesh, that although he would die, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So we see something here before we get into the next passage of Scripture. Jesus himself became flesh. Why Jesus was born? Jesus became flesh so that through death he might render powerless the one who had the power of death, and that's the devil. Now verse 15, and that he might free those, free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. Now if we take that scripture and we just paraphrase it, we see Jesus became flesh. Jesus was born. Jesus came to the earth so that he could take away the power of death from the one who held it. That's Satan. And in doing so, he might make a way for you and I to become free. As we celebrate freedom in this coming week, I want us to consider why Jesus came and what should result from his coming. The result should be liberty. It should be freedom. I want to see some things in the scripture concerning freedom. I want you to have this in your notes, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Galatians 5, 1, it reads like this. It was for freedom that Jesus Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and don't be subject again to the yoke of slavery. The freedom that comes into our lives through Jesus is meant to liberate us from all of the things that once held us captive. It's the reason why I'm completely different after I'm born again than I was before. There's no way to stay the same. When Jesus enters into our lives, freedom from the things that kept us in bondage is inevitable. Because it's for freedom that Jesus sets us free. It's not for bondage. Now, all of these scriptures are wonderful. I mean, they're, they're poetic and they're encouraging. They're inspirational. But in order to understand them, it's important that we stop to understand the words that make them up. 
And I mean, all of us would have our concepts of freedom. If we were to simply pose the question, what does it mean to know freedom? Or what is freedom? I mean, we could all give our own definitions and, and they would be wonderful. But I want to turn to the dictionary quickly and, and let you know that it can be frustrating sometimes to look up words. The dictionary is a bit of a scam, okay? On occasion. Now, some of you are aware of what we're about to see here. You look up a word like freedom because you want to understand what is freedom. You look up the word freedom, and here's your definition. The state of being free. Does that help you at all? If you want to understand what freedom is, and you go to look it up in the dictionary, and it says, well, it's being free, does that help you? I mean, it doesn't help me at all. So now I need to look up the word free. Well, what is that? If freedom is the state of being free, then I need to understand what free is. If Jesus came to set me free, I want to know what he came to do. So you look up the word free, and here's the definition you'll find. Not held as a slave or prisoner. I like that. Jesus came so that I could not be held as a slave and not be held as a prisoner. Now it's making a little more sense to me. Here's another definition of free, if you were to look it up in the dictionary. Having the legal and political rights of a citizen. That's really interesting. I want to give you a passage of scripture that should should provoke you to want to know what it means to be a citizen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Ephesians 2, 19. If you go to Ephesians 2, 19 and read what's present, you'll read the following. You're no longer strangers or foreigners, but you are citizens with the saints and are of God's household. The work that Jesus has done in me, the reason why he would come and take the power of death from Satan to set me free, to make me no longer a prisoner, to make me a citizen. I want to understand what it is that he did when he did that. So I want to just tell you what it means to be a citizen by definition. A citizen is one who's entitled to the rights, privileges, and protection of a government. Jesus has made a way for you and for me to be entitled to the rights, the privileges, and the protection of God's household. He's made a way for us to be entitled to the rights, the privileges, the protection of God's kingdom. And I want to talk about that. Really and truly, as we celebrate this 4th of July, as we celebrate this Independence Day, we see something happening. We see something taking place that the more time passes, we become separated from the history. And we can lose sight of what we actually celebrate on July the 4th. I mean, remember, it's not called Freedom Day, it's called Independence Day. Now, what happened on July the 4th was not this winning of freedom or this winning of liberty. But what happened on July 4th was this declaration of independence. A group of people were oppressed. They felt as if they had become prisoners or as if they had become slaves of a government. And this group, began to realize that this slavery and this bondage was not godly. And so they met together and consented that it was the right of the people to declare independence. They sat down and they drafted a document. I mean, we call it the Declaration of Independence. It's really what we celebrate on the 4th of July. And they sat down together and they began to write something. And what they wrote is not Scripture, but yet it bears witness with Scripture. They began to write and they, they penned the words, 
Like when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them to another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes that impel them to the declaration. They go on to say this. They go on to talk about the rights that belong to everyone. They say we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal, that they're endowed by God, their creator, with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Then they go on to talk about the importance of these rights. They say that to secure these rights, governments are instituted. I mean, based on what they said, the reason why government exists is to secure these rights. To secure these rights, governments are instituted deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And that whenever, whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it's the right of the people to alter or abolish it. Did you hear that? When any of these ends come under attack by government, it's the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. And to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers on such form that to them seem most likely to affect their safety. I mean, you and I have this as a document that's a part of our nationality. It's our national history. But what's being pinned here is, is so similar to the gospel that we could actually learn about the scripture as we learn about this document that was written in 1776. That when a government infringes upon rights, it is the right of the governed to alter or abolish it. Because God has given us these rights. And it is our place to secure those rights, to see to it that those rights are not infringed upon, that those rights are stable. There's something that happens when we're born again. I told you before when we were going through things, introducing the message, that we'd find out what happens when we're born again. I want us to see it in the scripture so that we can rightly understand it. If you're taking notes, you can write down Colossians chapter 1. I want to look at verses 13 and 14. Colossians 1. It reads like this if you're there in Colossians chapter 1 beginning in verse 13. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. The He there is God the Father. God our Father rescued us from the domain of darkness and He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Now when you were born again and when I was born again, something happened. According to this passage of Scripture, there was a transfer. A transfer from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I want us to understand what that means as we move forward. That means when you were born again, when I was, a born, when I was born again, there was a transfer of government. A change from one government to the next. One government that was headed by Satan and all of darkness and the other government that we were so graciously transferred into would be the government of Jesus Christ, the government of light. 
righteousness, and victory. If we can see that God is changing government, if we can begin to understand the government that is behind uh, the, the work that is new birth and salvation, we can rightly understand what it is that God's doing in our lives and we can come into alignment and agreement with this work and come to know the benefits of it. I mean, we need to think of Christianity as government. In fact, a kingdom is really what God is establishing. I mean, everywhere that Jesus would preach, he preached about the kingdom of God. The word says that, that wherever Jesus would preach, he would begin by speaking, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent not meaning apologize, but repent meaning change. Knowing that for us to be in the kingdom of God, it would require a change. It would require a transfer. It would require stepping out from under this government and stepping in to the government of Jesus Christ. The government of Jesus Christ is established throughout the scripture. Daniel chapter 7 shows a vivid picture of the government that we celebrate as believers. Daniel is in the midst of a vision and he sees the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, and he sees Jesus, the Son of Man, presented before him. And the word says this in Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. And to Jesus was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples and nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will never pass away and His kingdom is one which will never be destroyed. Every other kingdom, every other form of government is destined to fall, is destined to be destroyed. But there's one government that is eternal. That's the only reason as a Christian when I'm transferred from one government into the kingdom of Jesus Christ that now my life exists in eternity. Because His government's never going away. His government's always expanding and growing. I'd like for you to take this down for your notes. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, it speaks of Jesus being born into the world. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And now I want you to pay attention to verse 7. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. I want us to see Christianity as an exchange of government. That where there was oppression, there could be a declaration of independence. There could be a separation. There could be a, a, an acknowledgement that our rights are infringed upon by the lies and the deception of the one who once governed us, the devil. And that we can separate from that and step into a new government instituted on our behalf by our Heavenly Father. One that's founded upon righteousness. Jesus spoke of the government when He spoke of the kingdom of God everywhere that He preached. And it's really this change of government that brought about wonderful things. It brought about what we would call the miraculous or, or these signs and wonders. Let me give you a few passages of scriptures. A few passages of Scripture here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says this, that wherever Jesus went and preached, He began by saying, change for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now here's the results of some of those changes. Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. Jesus gave instruction to those who were sent out to preach, saying, go and preach 
saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, then heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely as you received, go and freely give. Freely as you received what? How is it that if Jesus never cleansed me from leprosy, I could go and give someone cleansing from leprosy? He's not talking about the sign or the wonder. He's talking about the government. Freely as you've received. Freely as you've received a transfer from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God, go and freely give that. Go and begin to proclaim. Go and begin to to preach that there is a new government at hand. A government of righteousness. A government of peace. A government of joy. A government that is founded upon the principles of the kingdom of heaven. A government that will never be shaken. A government that will never be passing away. A government that has a ruler that is righteous and just who will never die. Go and proclaim a change of government. And then work all the signs and wonders that you can work. Go and freely give this change of government as it was freely given to you. Luke chapter 10 verse 9. Jesus is speaking saying, Heal those who are sick and say to them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. This change of government has touched your life. When I read that passage of scripture in the past, it was a riddle to me. But today I understand that as we move from the dominion of darkness into the dominion of light, the signs, the wonders, the benefits of God's kingdom are what follows because we're citizens entitled to the things of his kingdom. The provisions, the protections, the rights and privileges, citizens of the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, Jesus is revealing why he can do the things he's, he's doing. I mean, Jesus is moving in the power of God, and people are, are shocked to see the things that they're seeing. And getting up the courage to ask, why can you do these things? How can you do these things? Jesus gives a response, I cast out demons by the Spirit of God because the kingdom of God has come upon you. Deliverance is a governmental matter. Having the jurisdiction and the authority to speak on behalf of the Father. To see to it that the authority and the power of the kingdom of God is released through our lives requires us to see that we've been moved from one governing authority to another. We've been removed from a government of darkness into a government of light. In the same way our founding fathers saw that there were rights that belonged to us that when they were infringed upon required a change. We need to have our eyes open to our heavenly rights, our kingdom rights. And we need to have the courage and the strength and the boldness and the devotion to make the same move that our founding fathers made years ago. When they would stand and say that God has given us certain rights and when government infringes upon these rights, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. We need to have that same mentality as we live out our lives in the Spirit. We have heavenly rights, kingdom rights. I mean, as it comes to the governments of men, our founding fathers wrote that those rights were life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. But I want you to know what your kingdom rights are. I want to give you a passage of scripture out of Romans. Romans chapter 14 verse 17. I believe it reveals to us our kingdom rights. It speaks of what the kingdom of God exists in. It says, for the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
I've come to understand these three things as my kingdom rights. The same way our founding fathers would speak of this nation as having God-given rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, I now see that in the kingdom of God, I have the right to peace. I have the right to righteousness. I have the right to joy in any situation or circumstance because of Jesus Christ. And I've come to understand that when those rights are infringed upon by the things of this world, it's a governmental issue. When things are infringing upon my right to righteousness, just like our founding fathers would write, it's the right of the people to do something about it. God has anointed me and called me to do something about it. Jesus stood and He said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. That anointing didn't go away when Jesus ascended into the heaven. In fact, it was poured out upon the earth by the power of the Holy Spirit upon you and upon me. Defending the rights that we have as citizens of the kingdom of God is our calling and anointing to see to it that the government of Jesus Christ is not infringed upon in our lives as Christians and believers. We're anointed with the Holy Ghost to defend the righteousness that God's made a way for in our lives, the peace that He's made provision for in our King Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and the joy in the Holy Ghost that He paid the highest price to bring into our lives. Now there's something I mentioned we were going to find as we got into the Word. We're going to find what we needed in order to function in God's kingdom. I want to share that now because I believe it's important. A lot of the things that we speak of or the things that we read and the things that we write down in our notes can very easily be limited to information. It's something we hear and and we take it in and we store it away. But it's not put to practice or it's not put to use. I'd love for the things that we see in the scripture to come into an understanding of this transfer of government from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, I would love for these things to not just be an increase of information, an increase of intelligence, but I'd love for them to be put to practice, carried out, lived out in our lives that we might see the benefits of the kingdom of God in each one of our lives. I want to give you a passage of scripture, what we need in order to function in God's kingdom. You'll see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to look at verse 20. 1 Corinthians 4.20. It speaks of the kingdom of God and its existence. It reads like this. The kingdom of God does not exist in words, but in power. I want to say it again and then I want to speak about it for a moment. The kingdom of God does not exist in words, but in power. That tells me something. That tells me that we can talk about this all day long. We could make a seven-part series where we spoke about it. We could have nightly prayer meetings where we prayed about it. We could talk about this till Jesus comes back, but it's not going to do anything. It's the power of our actions that does something. When our founding fathers penned this letter, it didn't do jack. They wrote that letter declaring independence. They signed it. And they sat under the same oppression that they were once under. When you think about what it accomplished, actually, it's rather funny. Upon signing that letter, they didn't all throw confetti in the air and have a parade and yell, we're free. You want to know what they did? They started a war. 
The moment they made that declaration that I'm no longer going to live under the boot of oppression, when we make a declaration I'm no longer going to live under the government of Satan, I'm going to be transferred from that dominion of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we start a war. When that declaration was signed, as soon as it reached the eyes of the king, ships set sail with the most deadly force known on the earth at the time. To come and beat into submission what was labeled rebellious. God has anointed us and called us to walk in these rights as citizens of His kingdom. The right to righteousness. I no longer am required to sin. My nature is now subdued, crucified with Christ and raised up in the resurrection. I'm no longer in bondage to sin or corruption. It is my choice now if I choose to enter back in. Righteousness is my right. Peace is my right. I no longer have to be afraid. I no longer have to suffer anxiety no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance because of the work of Jesus Christ in my life, in my heart, and in my mind. Peace is my right. To enter into fear or to enter into anxiety would be a choice at this point in my existence as a son of God. Joy is my right. No matter again the situation or the circumstance, the most depressing news could come my way, but I can still walk in joy because of the hope of God's Word, the work of Jesus in my life, and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon me. Joy is my right. To enter into depression at this point would be to walk away from that right or that privilege. To stop defending it. To stop cherishing it. We have a call upon us to walk in these kingdom rights. And when we make a declaration that we're no longer going to let our righteousness be trampled on by an opposing government, we're no longer going to let our peace be taken by an opposing government, we're no longer going to allow our joy to be stolen by a foreign outside opposing government, we start a war. But I've got great news for you. It's a war that's won. It's won by our king who said, fear not, I've overcome the world. When we are seated with Jesus Christ in heavenly places, that war that is started upon our defending of our heavenly rights is won. And as we walk out in obedience, the wonderful counsel of our King, we see to it that our rights are secured. That right to righteousness, the right to peace, the right to joy. For these things to come into existence, these things that make up the kingdom of God, it's got to be more than words. But according to what we read, The kingdom of God is not words, but power. The kingdom of God is not words, but actions. I want to ask myself, what actions? What actions? What is it that I need in my life to see to it that righteousness, peace, and joy are cherished, are lived out, and when they suffer assault, I rise up and walk in the manner in which God's called me to walk to defend my heavenly rights? I want to turn back to the words of our founding fathers. When they penned that Declaration of Independence, when they made it clear that there was a transfer of government that was necessary for their rights to be secured, they closed it with a line that I think is extremely powerful. 
I mean, there's not a person in the room who doesn't want to stand and cheer and play patriotic music and light off fireworks when they hear that we have a God-given right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness and that when any government infringes upon those things, it's our right to alter, to abolish it, and to set in place a government that will cherish that right on our behalf. Oh, we want to stand. But let me tell you the words that close the Declaration of Independence. Because it comes at a price. It comes at a cost. When our founding fathers wrote this, they closed it with this, knowing what it was going to take in order to live out our lives without the rights that God had given us being infringed upon. They closed with this line, and for the support of this declaration, I mean, I just want to stop there for a second, saying that everything we just wrote is supported by this. The same way this building is supported by this foundation. Everything that we just wrote, no matter how powerful it seems, no matter how effective or how much potential it has, without this support, it's nothing. And to support this declaration with a firm reliance upon divine providence, that's God, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now, as we live out our lives as the saints, as we live out our lives as the church, as we walk in our heavenly rights, the righteousness and the peace and the joy in the Holy Spirit that we have a right as citizens of God to walk in, in order for us to live out our lives and see to it that those heavenly rights aren't infringed upon, it's going to require us to be unified as the saints. To be able to look at one another and say, I'm a part of the body of Christ. We share in this together. And we pledge to one another our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Those may not be the words that the Scripture would use, but the call for us to be unified as the church, as the body, is the same. In order for us to walk in the kingdom rights that God's given us, in order for us to live out our lives together in full celebration of the righteousness that we're entitled to as citizens, the peace that we're entitled to as citizens, and the joy that we're entitled to as citizens of the kingdom of God. It's going to take each other. I want to see these things come to pass. I want to see the body functioning as one. When we see our brother have his righteousness infringed upon, I don't want to cut him off and just say, well, I hope he gets that worked out. I want to come to his defense. When I see my brother or my sister have their peace infringed upon, I don't want to be like Job's friends and wonder, well, I wonder how they made God mad. I want to step in and I want to begin to intercede and be part of the solution to securing their peace. When I see my brother or my sister have their joy infringed upon, I don't want to abandon them to depression, but I want to stand firm beside them and fight back that foreign power that is attempting to touch their God-given kingdom rights. If we can commit to one another to secure these heavenly rights for each other, we could see the body of Christ functioning in the fullness of righteousness, the fullness of peace, in the fullness of joy in the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning as we prepare to dismiss.
I want to pray and I want to trust God for something to take place in each one of us. To take place in our hearts, to take place in our minds. It all starts with seeing that Christianity is government. That when we're born again, we're pulled from the dominion of the devil and transferred into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I want to believe God that we can have our eyes open to understand this new citizenship that we have. That we could understand the rights that we have as believers. And that we can be committed one to another to defending those rights within the body. I want to ask God to do these things and He'll do a work in each one of us as we need it done. I want us to be committed to these things being more than words, but that they would be actions. They wouldn't just hear it and say, well, that was an interesting message. But that we could understand these words are meant to change how we live and how we think. That God loves us and He's doing a powerful work in us. Changing who we are. Making us more like Jesus. And leading us to fruitfulness. Fellowship. Prosperity in His kingdom. There where you stand, I want to pray. And I'm praying for all of us. Myself first. Father, we bless Your name and we thank You for Your word. We thank you for the freedom that you've paid the highest price to purchase on our behalf. Open our eyes to see the truth within your word. The transfer of government that you've made a way for through Jesus. Let our hearts be softened and our minds be renewed by the power of your word. That this transfer of government would become real to us. That we would see Jesus as our king. His counsel as our instruction. And that with gratitude, aware that you have removed us from the domain of Satan and that you have transferred us unto the righteous leadership of our King Jesus, let gratitude and celebration lead us to do every word that he says, knowing that you've made a way for us to be citizens in a kingdom that will never pass away. We thank you for the freedom and the liberty that comes. Open our eyes to see those heavenly rights that you've made a way for. Teach us to value righteousness, to value peace, to value joy in the Holy Spirit as our God-given rights within your kingdom. And let anything that would infringe upon these rights move us to such a place to defend the rights that you've paid the highest price to bring into our lives. And let us not just defend these things selfishly, but just as the example was set by those who've gone before us, let us be willing to pledge our lives, our fortunes, our honor to see to it that these rights are secured for our neighbor. And let a wonderful work be done in this place. A unifying work. Where we would no longer be a group of Christians, but we would be the body of Christ. And let righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit flow from this place in such a way that it would draw those outside in. Let it be evangelistic. Let it expand your kingdom. And let your name be glorified as we live out our lives in the fullness of the rights that you've given us in Jesus. We bless your name and we thank you for this freedom. In the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.